It's the 16th of November in the year of our salvation, 2009, and you're back with Father Z and another podcast. Today we have a rapid podcast in which we welcome as our guest Pope Paul VI, who died in 1978. He will speak to us from a general audience he held in or New Order of Mass, was produced after the Council Fathers required that there would be a reform of the liturgy. Now I'm going to leave it to you to determine whether or not what we actually got is what the Fathers mandated in the Council. But whatever it was that they mandated, what we got began in 1969. The Novus Ordo Missae went into effect 40 years ago on the first Sunday of Advent, which was the 30th of November in the year 1969. Uh, very often we talk about the 1970 Missal, we talk about the 1970 Novus Ordo, but it actually went into force at the end of November 1969. Today we're going to hear Pope Paul VI speaking at a general audience about the changes that were about to take place. He speaks especially in this audience of the use of Latin and the vernacular. And as you listen, keep in mind a few things. You can tune your ears to listen for the following. Uh, keeping in mind that this is 1969, in a time when there have already been uh, massive upheavals of every every kind, uh, both in the church and in secular society. Um, there was also, uh, at this time, a rising improper experimentation in the liturgy that was sparked by a kind of a chimeric spirit of the council in which they were tossing out all old things and bringing in all new things in a sort of a rupture with the past. You know, keep in mind as you listen, as you tune your ears for a few things, that these were really crazy years. Now, in his general audience, as Paul begins to talk about what's going to happen and what people are going to experience, he begins with a review of some pros and some cons. Uh, 
And he says that they, the way that they are celebrating Mass is a venerable tradition, and it's a tradition of centuries. It brought the prayer of our forefathers and saints to our lips. It gave us comfort. We could pass it on to future generations. And then he talks about the annoyance that is going to happen in the change of the ceremonies. Pious people are going to be annoyed. Probably a lot of priests are going to be annoyed. But he also underscores that uh, maybe we were too used to certain things, that in our comfort uh, with the rites, we are no longer paying attention to them. He uses the word torpor. And then he speaks of uh, inconvenience and how we have to prepare for novelty. And he gives very good advice. He, He says that we have to find out all that we can about what is going to happen. That's a way to prepare for novelty. And then he goes into the reasons for the change. And this is where it really gets very interesting. First, Paul says that it is tied to a prophetic moment in the life of the church. And that life, uh, that event, of course, is the Second Vatican Council. Pope Paul thought that the liturgical changes were actually Christ's will. And he makes a very bold statement, quote, It is Christ's will, it is the breath of the Holy Spirit, which calls the church to make this change. You see, because there was a council, and because the council asked for changes, therefore it's God's will that these things take place. It's a prophetic moment, therefore. It's calling the church to change something very important. The other reason for this is a renewal of prayer and an underscoring of the role of the faithful. He speaks of the newness of the language. It's no longer going to be Latin, but the spoken language will be the principal language of the Mass. Now, I find in this a a little inconsistency, because this is not exactly what the council documents that he was just appealing to actually said. The Sacrosanctum Concilium notes that the vernacular could be used in some occasions, but that Latin should be preserved as the language of the Church. So, what Paul is calling for, he's calling for an obedience to the council. He might not actually be calling for obedience to the letter of the documents that the council produced, which raises all sorts of very interesting questions. Paul speaks of Latin in his general audience, saying that it's going to be a great sacrifice to uh, make these adjustments because Latin is beautiful, powerful, and even sacral. He calls it a sacred language. It's the language of the Christian centuries. Now, when you listen to that, you know, when I heard that or read that for the first time, it occurred to me that maybe he's saying that that we no longer live in a Christian age, and that's why the language has to change. Anyway, he goes on and says, We are becoming almost like profane intruders into the literary preserve of sacred utterance. So on more than one uh, occasion in this audience, he's talking about the sacral nature of the language, and yet he's willing to sacrifice that, and we'll get to his reasons why. He goes on talking about Latin. He really waxes eloquent about Latin in this audience, he says, quote, we will lose a great part of that stupendous and incomparable artistic and spiritual thing, Gregorian chant. Well, you know, once again, 
you and I know that that is not exactly in keeping with the document on the liturgy that the council fathers put out. The dictate of the fathers was that Gregorian chant is to have pride of place, and that means Latin. But the Holy Father in this general audience was saying that we have to be obedient to what the council asked for. So there's an inherent contradiction in here. And as Pope Paul talks about these things, you can hear his own expression of regret come through. Uh, he, he makes no, uh, uh, no bones about it, really. Uh, he, he, this, is, this is going to be very hard. It's, going to be, it's hard on him. But then he goes on to giving the reasons why we have to make the sacrifice. He says, understanding prayer is worth more than the silken garments, and he means Latin, and also the complexity of ceremonies, the silken garments in which it is royally dressed. Participation by the people is worth more than, in other words, what we're giving up. And he makes especially a reference to participation by modern people and by people who are in business. That's what he means by the word affairs that is going to be used. And also by labor. In other words, you know, simple people or people who aren't necessarily well-educated in things like Latin and, you know, history and all that. And he talks about plain language, which is easily understood or converted into everyday speech. I'm sure that's, you know, something very inspiring to His Excellency, the Bishop of Erie, Bishop Troutman, who thinks that all liturgical prayer should be in a, uh, a plain, ordinary, everyday speech that even the lowest common denominator can understand. I'm sure that also a few things in here resonate uh, with uh, Bishop Troutman as well. Uh, when he contrasts, uh, for example, Paul VI contrasts the sacral language, which is vernacular, or with, which is Latin, with the vernacular on the other side, because Bishop Troutman doesn't think that there should be sacral language, there should be pastoral language. And in a sense, um, this uh, general audience, the reasons that Paul VI is giving, are very much in keeping with that position. Uh, keep your ears tuned also for some quotes. Uh, Pope Paul VI quotes St. Paul, he quotes St. Augustine, and he quotes also a very uh, interesting uh, figure, a friend of his, who was a friend of Giovanni Battista Montini, later became Pope Paul VI. He was a controversial theologian by the name of Maurice Zundel. And that's the very end. He gives this kind of eloquent and poignant quote toward the very end. Uh, but in the meantime, he's also, you know, Paul VI is trying to also to say, the Latin isn't going to disappear, our official documents are still going to be there, and oh yes, by the way, uh, you know, people should, should uh, you know, learn how to sing and speak Latin and, and all that. Uh, I would leave it to you to judge whether or not Pope Paul's optimism about how Latin was going to be preserved in the church actually took place, or whether it did not. Uh, as you listen to this, remember, however, that we have to put it into its context. This was in 1969. We have 40 years now of retrospect on this in which we've been able to assess things. And now we also have a pope who participated in the, con in the council and who is deeply interested in liturgy, helping us to interpret not only the event of the council itself and what it means for the life of the church today, but also is terribly interested in liturgy, 
and uh, knowing how central it is to our identity as Catholics. So uh, let's go on without further comment to listen to Pope Paul VI speaking on the imminent implementation of the Novus Ordo back in 1969, just before the first Sunday of Advent. He's speaking in a general audience, and the Novus Ordo is about to go into force. Our dear sons and daughters, we ask you to turn your minds once more to the liturgical innovation of the new rite of Mass. This new rite will be introduced into our celebration of the Holy Sacrifice starting from Sunday next, which is the first of Advent, November 30th. A new rite of the Mass, a change in a venerable tradition that has gone on for centuries, this is something that affects our hereditary religious patrimony, which seemed to enjoy the privilege of being untouchable and settled. It seemed to bring the prayer of our forefathers and our saints to our lips, and to do give us the comfort of feeling faithful to our spiritual past, which we kept alive to pass it on to the generations ahead. It is at such a moment as this that we get a better understanding of the value of historical tradition and the communion of the saints. This change will affect the ceremonies of the Mass. We shall become aware, perhaps with some feeling of annoyance, that the ceremonies at the altar are no longer being carried out with the same words and gestures to which we were accustomed, perhaps so much accustomed that we no longer took any notice of them. This change also touches the faithful. It is intended to interest each one of those present to draw them out of their customary personal devotions or their usual torpor. We must prepare for this many-sided inconvenience. It is the kind of upset caused by every novelty that breaks in on our habits. We shall notice that pious persons are disturbed most, because they have their own respectable way of hearing Mass, and they will feel shaken out of their usual thoughts and obliged to follow those of others. Even priests may feel some annoyance in this respect. So what is to be done on this special and historical occasion? First of all, we must prepare ourselves. This novelty is no small thing. We should not let ourselves be surprised by the nature or even the nuisance of its external forms. 
as intelligent persons and conscientious faithful, we should find out as much as we can about this innovation. It will not be hard to do so because of the many fine efforts being made by the church and by publishers. As we said on another occasion, we shall do well to take into account the motives for this grave change. The first is obedience to the council. That obedience now implies obedience to the bishops, who interpret the council's prescription and put them into practice. This first reason is not simply canonical, relating to an external precept. It is connected with the charism of the liturgical act. In other words, it is linked with the power and efficacy of the church's prayer, the most authoritative utterance of which comes from the bishop. This is also true of priests, who help the bishop in his ministry, and like him act in persona Christi. It is Christ's will, it is the breath of the Holy Spirit which calls the church to make this change. A prophetic moment is occurring in the mystical body of Christ, which is the church. This moment is shaking the church, arousing it, obliging it to renew the mysterious art of its prayer. The other reason for the reform is this renewal of prayer. It is aimed at associating the, the assembly of the faithful more closely and more effectively with the official rite, that of the word and that of the Eucharistic sacrifice, that constitutes the Mass. For the faithful are also invested with the royal priesthood, that is, they are qualified to have supernatural conversation with God. It is here that the greatest newness is going to be noticed, the newness of language. No longer Latin, but the spoken language will be the principal language of the Mass. The introduction of the vernacular will certainly be a great sacrifice for those who know the beauty, the power, and the expressive sacrality of Latin. We are parting with the speech of the Christian centuries. We are becoming like profane intruders in the literary preserve of sacred utterance. We will lose a great part of that stupendous and incomparable artistic and spiritual thing, the Gregorian chant. We have reason indeed for regret, reason almost for bewilderment. What can we put in the place of that language of the angels? We are giving up something of priceless worth, but why? What is more precious than these loftiest of our church's values? The answer will seem banal, prosaic. Yet it is a good answer, because it is human, because it is apostolic. Understanding of prayer is worth more than the silken garments in which it is royally dressed. Participation by the people is worth more, particularly participation by modern people, so fond of plain language which is easily understood and converted into everyday speech. If the divine Latin language kept us apart from the children, from youth, from the world of labor and of affairs, if it were a dark screen, not a clear window, would it be right for us fishers of souls to maintain it as the exclusive language of prayer and religious intercourse? What did St. Paul have to say about that? 
Read chapter 14 of the first letter to the Corinthians. Quote, In church I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. St. Augustine seems to be commenting on this when he says, quote, Have no fear of teachers so long as all are instructed. Close quote. But in any case, the new rite of the Mass provides that the faithful quote, should be able to sing together in Latin at least the parts of the ordinary of the Mass, especially the Creed and the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Close quote. But let us bear this well in mind. For our counsel and our comfort, the Latin language will not thereby disappear. It will continue to be the noble language of the Holy See's official acts. It will remain as the means of teaching in ecclesiastical studies and as the key to the patrimony of our religious, historical, and human culture. If possible, it will reflourish in splendor. Finally, if we look at the matter properly, we shall see that the fundamental outline of the Mass is still the traditional one, not only theologically, but also spiritually. Indeed, if the rite is carried out as it ought to be, the spiritual aspect will be found to have greater richness. The greater simplicity of the ceremonies, the variety and abundance of scriptural texts, the joint acts of the ministers, the silences, which will mark various deeper moments in the rite, will all help to bring this out. But two indispensable requirements above all will make that richness clear. A profound participation by every single one present, and an outpouring of spirit in community charity. These requirements will help to make the Mass more than ever a school of spiritual depth and a peaceful but demanding school of Christian sociology. The soul's relationship with Christ and with the brethren thus attains new and vital intensity. Christ, the victim and the priest, renews and offers up his redeeming sacrifice through the ministry of the church in the symbolic rite of his last supper. He leaves us his body and blood under the appearance of bread and wine, for our personal and spiritual nourishment, for our fusion in the unity of his redeeming love and his immortal life. But there is still a practical difficulty, which the excellence of the sacred renders not a little important. How can we celebrate this new rite when we have not yet got a complete missal, and there are still so many uncertainties about what to do? To conclude, it will be helpful to read to you some directions from the competent office, namely the Sacred Congregation for Divine Worship. Here they are, quote, as regards the obligation of the rite. For the Latin text, priests who celebrate in Latin, in private, or also in public, in cases provided for by the legislation, may use either the Roman Missal or the New Rite until November 28, 1971. If they use the Roman Missal, they may nevertheless make use of the three new anaphoras and the Roman Canon, having regard to the provisions respecting the last text, omission of some saints, conclusions, etc. 
They may moreover recite the readings and the prayer of the faithful in the vernacular. If they use the new rite, they must follow the official text, with the concessions as regards the vernacular indicated above. For the vernacular text, in Italy, all those who celebrate in the presence of the people from November 30 next must use the Rito della Mesa published by the Italian Episcopal Conference or by another national conference. On feast days, readings shall be taken either from the lectionary published by the Italian Center for Liturgical Action or from the Roman Missal for feast days, as in use heretofore. On ferial days, the ferial lecture on ferial days, the ferial lectionary published three years ago shall continue to be used. No problem arises for those who celebrate in private, because they must celebrate in Latin. If a priest celebrates in the vernacular by special indult, as regards the texts, he shall follow what was said above for the Mass of the people, but for the rite he shall follow the ordo published by the Italian Episcopal Conference. In every case, and at all times, let us remember that, quote, the Mass is a mystery to be lived in a death of love. Its divine reality surpasses all words. It is the action par excellence, the very act of our redemption, in the memorial which makes it present. Close quote. With our apostolic benediction. That was Pope Paul VI speaking to us from a general audience from back in November of 1969. He's talking about the implementation of the Novus Ordo just before when it went into force on the first Sunday of Advent in that year. You think about yourself, think about how these last 40 years have actually gone when you listen to Paul VI's words and his hopes his aspirations, you can assess for yourself whether what he was talking about has actually come to pass. And as we turn our mind back to that huge event in the history of the church, we have to consider that uh, now, that in our own context, that there have been, since then, two additional editions of the Missale Romanum. The 2002 edition is in force now. There have been several documents about the authentic interpretation of Sacrosanctum Concilium, that's the Apostolic Constitution from the Second Vatican Council about 
liturgy in which the reforms of the liturgy were mandated. And we have also received new norms for translation of the uh, the texts of Holy Mass into vernacular languages. That's a document from the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments called Liturgium Authenticum. And in fact, we are on the verge of a new translation. As I speak, the U.S. bishops are uh, in their meeting, in their plenary session in Baltimore, and they, go, they are going to be voting on blocks of texts. These are among the very last texts that have to be approved and then sent to Rome for the recognitio. Uh, in our own day also, um, Benedict XVI is now Pope. He has given a Summorum Pontificum, which emancipated the use of the older form of Mass. And this is, without question, one of the most important things that we've seen in the last 40 years since the Council. And without question, it is aimed, uh, among other things, at correcting our understanding of liturgy, which has arisen in the last 40 years. He's, our Holy Father, Pope Benedict, is trying to bring our worship back into continuity with our past. And we've experienced a great deal of rupture and discontinuity. So the Holy Father is giving us a new interpretive lens or hermeneutic. Uh, he's trying to guide us away from an understanding of the council as a rupture with the past, and therefore our liturgical reforms as a rupture with the past. And that is, unfortunately, the hermeneutic or interpretive lens or principle which has dominated our church for the last four decades. Now, furthermore, uh, think about it. In, in our day, the people who lived those heady days of change are now stepping out of positions of power. Younger people who didn't live at the time of the council or were not, you know, terribly aware at the time of the council, people who, in other words, who don't have that interpretive principle of rupture or discontinuity, they are stepping into positions of influence as these older folks are stepping out of them. And therefore, there are, is entering into uh, seminaries and universities and parishes and chanceries an interpretive lens or principle or hermeneutic an understanding of the council which might be a little bit more objective a little less enthusiastic or emotionally bound up with those days of youth when all things were exciting and changing and so forth in other words Perhaps we can get a little bit more uh, of a dispassionate view of the council and see it not as a rupture with our past or a new beginning or separation from the past, but as something which is one step important, but one step in the whole life of the church going on for centuries and something that we have to bring into continuity. I think it's really also very important in in moments like this, to go back and compare the attitudes of those days with what we are experiencing now, with the reintroduction of the older and traditional form of Holy Mass in the life of the Church. Uh, for example, some years ago, I remember during a, a meeting of the U.S. bishops, uh, right around this time of year, um, Cardinal George uh, was having a little uh, jousting match with another bishop. I believe it was uh, Bishop Troutman. He's ever on the forefront of all liturgical issues. And um, 
he, uh, Bishop Troutman, was complaining about the uh, the translation norms, uh, saying that, gosh, you know, we've we've gotten used to all these, you know, the way that we pray now and so forth. And uh, Cardinal George compared that attitude of not wanting to change any, anything to a Lefevrism of the left. So it's very interesting to go back and listen to what Paul VI said back in 1969 with what we are experiencing today, both with the reintroduction of the older form of Mass into the life of the Church, as well as the preparation of a new translation. The English, uh, English translation is going to be coming out uh, eventually, and people are starting to uh, think about it, wonder about it. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? You see, people find changes in liturgy very difficult, and that's proper, because liturgy is by nature ritual, and ritual doesn't change. Ritual that claims to be ritual but changes all the time, in its essentials at least, is not ritual at all. Our, our worship of God as a church is primarily conservative. It has to be. And the changes that take place in our worship of God, our ritual worship, take place only slowly, or they should at least, and under the guidance of proper authority, especially under the guidance of the Roman pontiff, and in the case of what Paul VI was talking about, the council, or any council that would meet. But I think that what uh, Joseph Ratzinger, now Benedict XVI, has offered us over the years for our reflection is uh, a much clearer and correct lens of interpretation, uh, or a hermeneutic interpretive principle. What we do, we must do always in continuity with our centuries-long tradition, not in conflict or in rupture with the same, and also with this sense of obedience to what proper authority has given us.
on, come on, come on, come on, now touch me, babe. Can't you see that I am not afraid? What was that promise that you made? Why won't you tell me what she said? What was that promise that you made? Now I'm gonna love you Till the heavens stop the rain I'm gonna love With that, I'm going to wrap up this brief podcast. Come and visit me at the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra.com. That's a little too hard to remember. You can also look for me at fatherzonline.com, F A T H E R Z online.com. Uh, drop in and take part in the discussions there, and uh, feel free to make a donation so that I can keep these projects going. God bless you, and please do me the kindness of praying for me as I will for you. Father,